0: Welcome to a United Ireland bonus episode on one of our favourite topics. That's right, QAnon. Um, not amplifying, merely analysing. This week, Facebook removed large swathes of the QAnon ecosystem from their platform. We've covered QAnon a lot on the podcast, so we thought we'd update you on what's been going on with friend of the pod, Eva Gallagher, who is an analyst at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue and works on disinformation, extremism and hate. Welcome back to the pod, Eva.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Eva, this is like, this move is so huge from Facebook and it's something that they've been fighting against very vocally um, about doing on the platform for a long time. So like, what gives? Why have they finally decided to make this decision with QAnon?
2: Um, I suppose, I mean, in the past couple of months, like since I've talked to you, really, I mean, QAnon has become such a massive media story. We've seen, you know, there's going to be a member of Congress from Georgia who is more than likely going to get elected to Congress in the States. So there's just been you know, just a growing kind of, I suppose, worry about um how QAnon is driving kind of political movements in the states. And and I, I mean the, the other thing as well is that it has grown massively internationally too. I think just after we talked the last time, we actually released a report at ISD that looked at just the the, the volume of a conversation of QAnon since it began in twenty seventeen and what we found was that in the middle of march this year as as the lockdowns kind of it, it was pretty much coincided with the lockdowns there was a massive massive uptick in qanon conversation across mainstream platforms and this you know it kind of coincided with this kind of i suppose a rise in conspiratorial thinking really that kind of came along with the pandemic and i think I mean, there's probably reasons that a lot of us don't know as to why they decided to take these kind of drastic kind of changes, I suppose, and why they decided to to do this now. Um, but I would imagine that they were coming under pressure and they had to do something about it.
0: And what did Facebook actually do then?
2: Yeah, so what they did, they um, announced that they, well, I mean, they've taken a, a number of measures in the past, like six weeks. So I think about six weeks ago, they said that they were going to be removing QAnon, groups and pages that had content that was kind of inciting violence or that was that could, um, you know, result in violence, I suppose. And then um, it wasn't the day before yesterday, I think it was that they came out and kind of just said that they were issuing a a blanket ban on all QAnon material. And this was pretty much groups and pages that are promoting QAnon and accounts on Instagram. So it's across all Facebook platforms as well. Um, So and you know, you kind of take, you do take these things with a, a, a pinch of salt sometimes. When when Facebook says that they'll do things, because they're great at um, they're great at saying that they'll do things and not really following through. But um, I actually was pretty shocked then yesterday morning when I looked at my my lists. I have I have quite a number of lists of um, groups and pages and accounts, and they were depleted massively. Um, you know. Thankfully, there was only about four Irish QAnon accounts, but they were completely gone. Um, all of them are gone. Um, for my US lists, I think I had about 40, 40 groups or thereabouts. There was about four left. I had an international list of about fifty groups, and there's about five left in that. So they really, really did clamp down on this. Like they, I mean, it does seem to be effective. I mean, there's there's still kind of you know kind of wait and see kind of moments as well because there's obviously. What we've seen as well over the summer is that QAnon has very much kind of evolved, and it's evolved very, very quickly. Um, so the last time I was talking to you, we were kind of talking about, you know, the core kind of tenets of QAnon and how, you know, a lot of the, you know, the belief kind of forms around, you know, this satanic pedophile, like ring that, that Donald Trump is trying to destroy and bring to justice. Um, but what we've seen as well over the summer is that it's kind of evolved into what I'm describing as QAnon light um, in the form of the Save the Children movement. And this was, you know, it was a concerted effort really by QAnon to bring um, the movement to a wider audience with a very simple and effective message of Save the Children, because who doesn't want to save children at the end of the day? And it worked. It very, very much worked. Um, we saw this here um, in Ireland. We saw it in the UK. There's been dozens of rallies and protests under the banner of Save the Children kind of across the world. And so it's, interest, it's going to be interesting to know what they do to that branch of QAnon, because as much as, you know, that movement grew from QAnon. It would not be a thing if it wasn't for QAnon, but the conversations within those groups are not necessarily the, you know, they're not like, you know, Hillary Clinton is eating children. It's not that kind of bizarre end of QAnon. It's more about um, kind of bombarding people with loads of content about child trafficking and, and pedophilia to kind of, it, it really creates a moral panic, really, but, you know, so it, it, there, there is kind of a lot of ifs and buts and kind of like, hmm, how are they going to deal with it? Because it's grown so much, because it's kind of, I'm going to say it's evolved so quickly um, mm. that, you know, it's kind of like putting a genie back in the bottle in a lot of ways.
0: And it's grown in a very kind of tentacly like way that it's not just like something in one direction. It goes into loads of different, it, it, it seems to take hold in, in loads of different ways. Like you're saying, like the Save the Children thing. Andrea, what were you saying there?
1: I was just saying, like, like, obviously it's gone to save the children, but it's driven people into yellow vests and it's driven them into like the Health Freedom Ireland and all these other um, various groups. But like, does that mean that it's they've pulled the plug too late? Like, is there, is there a, a lot to be said for like, they've done it? Yes, but it's way too late. Y-
2: yeah, like I would be off that bin. I'd be like, you know, Reddit took action against QAnon in 2018. When they when they realized, I mean, it was very obvious with, with, with QAnon that it was going into like the the repercussions of it were just pretty crazy. And when you saw like, I mean, there's been dozens of incidents in the States that have been that have been linked to QAnon supporters and their their belief in QAnon. And they're like, you know, pretty much like there, there's been a number of different inc- instances and they've all kind of amounted to violence. Um, so as I say, Reddit were able to make those moves back in 2018. But Facebook didn't. And, you know, I do believe that Facebook has been the platform that because because Reddit got rid of it. And that was where QAnon was, where the main QAnon community was in 2018. And they kind of migrated to Facebook. So I do believe that Facebook has been the platform for getting people into this movement, especially this year. Um, And kind of as you were saying there, Andrea, as well, because. Um, because QAnon now has kind of tentacles in, you know, the anti-mass movements and the anti-5G movements. And it's it's kind of just reached into all these different conspiratorial groups. Um, Like that's another reason why Facebook was was such a big vector for this, because the algorithms, if you decided to join an anti-5G group, you know, back in March, you know, out of interest, um, because the same kind of conversations were going on in QAnon groups, you would have been recommended a QAnon group. So it's kind of all to do with the algorithms and everything as well that are involved in it. So, you know, in some ways they're, you know, I'm glad, I am glad that they're getting rid of these communities on Facebook and I do think it will have an effect, but they're not really, you know, going to the actual issue. They're not really solving like what actually caused this in the beginning.
0: What about other uh, platforms, including ones that Facebook owns, like have they taken any action on Instagram? and also has what about any action on YouTube or has TikTok done anything yet because we have seen TikTok and Instagram um become platforms where people are getting sucked into the QAnon in, in a in a different kind of way and it's much more ephemeral than let's say a Facebook group which is much more static uh, mm-hmm. like it might be just something some random person says in one of their stories and then like it's gone yet loads of people have maybe seen something QE and maybe export it further.
2: Yeah. And the other thing that we saw kind of during the summer was that like QAnon branched into the kind of the wellness community. And we saw a lot of, um, you know, wellness influencers on TikTok kind of starting to espouse these views as well. Um, You know, when I was looking at my Instagram lists yesterday, they're definitely not as depleted as the Facebook lists. Um, And that might be because it kind of is this, as I say, this diluted kind of lighter version of QAnon that's that's on Instagram. You know, the hashtag Save the Children is still, you know, very popular on Instagram even today. So, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely work, obviously, to be done there on Instagram and probably because it hasn't gotten as much coverage, I suppose. I mean, it it has done a little bit in the past couple of months and people have definitely been reporting on the fact that it has kind of shifted to like a new kind of demographic from like appearing on these platforms. And then TikTok, I mean, TikTok are, you know, they do actually... Um, every now and then just like delete a whole load of content under certain hashtags. So they did do that with like content under the Pizzagate hashtag and and other kind of QAnon hashtags a couple of months ago. But I mean, like any platform, you know, if you go onto TikTok and, you know, you type in Pizzagate and you spell it P-I-Z-Z-A-G-A-Y-T-E, you'll find loads of Pizzagate content. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, they just need to be a bit smarter about it, really. And they need to kind of realize that just because you ban one hashtag, you know, there's so many different ways around it. And that was what was happening on Facebook as well when they decided to start, you know, banning groups and pages about six weeks ago. You know, I just saw they were all just changing the names of the Facebook groups ever so slightly to avoid detection. So, I mean, it does, you know, and that's why I suppose this ban is going to be somewhat effective, I suppose, for getting rid of the communities.
1: On that, the QAnon light stuff, there was like a pastel QAnon, obviously, which was mm. driving the uh, Instagram stuff. But like I've seen over the last few weeks, a really big rise in this rhetoric amongst the beauty industry um, mm. and all the girls involved in that. And the salons with the hashtags of like, we won't close and the the viruses of fraud and all that kind of stuff so this is really going through young women which is where it really wasn't expected to go and how do you why is that fragment growing so fast obviously the pastel vibes and the child trafficking but how do you how do you stop that
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because there's so much ambiguity there with the Save the Children movement. Like, you really don't want to be, because a lot of the people involved in that movement are a lot of the people that are interested in it. Like, you wouldn't call them conspiracy theorists. They just really, you know, have been kind of bombarded with content so much that they think that's that child trafficking is like the only thing that people should care about. And of course we should care about it. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not really something that should be up for debate really, but it's just this, you know, as I say, it creates this like hysteric moral panic and it kind of, and, you know, one of the things, this is kind of a US based like, example, but I'm sure it was happening here as well. We saw with the Save the Children movement is that this figure of like 800,000 children go missing a year was being circulated massively around the place. And it was it, and that was kind of the figure that people were, you know, pointing to and being like, this is such a massive issue. But, you know, as with a lot of QAnon, and a lot of conspiracy theories, they, they avoid the context around that. So if you look into that figure, yes, 800,000 children, went missing one year, I think it was based on figures from 2002. But when you actually dug into them, 99% of those children are actually found safe and well very shortly afterwards, you know, so it's kind of like they're being given this information, but they're not given the correct context around it. And I just think that, I mean, maybe if there's an effort to like push people into the direction of actually you know getting involved in legitimate organizations that actually tackle child trafficking so that they can feel like they're actually doing something without you know hindering the efforts of of child trafficking organizations, which is what QAnon is doing really
0: mm. well from your analysis um of the situation, I know you do things obviously internationally, but the situation here, how big is slash was Slash still is um the QAnon ecosystem in Ireland or ca- can you even really quantify that?
2: I mean, you're judging it off membership of Facebook groups, really. And um, you know, I did when I was looking at those Facebook groups, there was a there were a lot of um, Americans in those groups, and you know, there's probably a number of reasons for that because a lot of Americans have Irish roots, I suppose, and they kind of think that's you know, you, you know, they're they're happy enough to kind of be involved in those groups, um, but you know, the, the groups, I think maybe at the last time I checked, actually the last time I talked to you, I think they were at between, I think maybe 500 and a thousand maybe was the number that I gave you that time. Um, but they were certainly over a thousand, um, and kind of you know, branching on like one to two thousand, I think the last time I checked. Um, but I mean, you know, we saw as well at the anti mask rallies that there were QAnon signs at those rallies as well. So as like as I was kind of saying at the start, like this this is really just a massive trend in conspiratorial thinking that has come along with the pandemic. And QAnon has been a massive vector for kind of, you know, filtering all these kind of conspiracies through it. Um and you know, I think, yeah. I mean, there there I, I don't really know what the solution is. I really wish I had one. <laughs> I really do. Do you think
1: there's a worry now that the move of shutting them down on Facebook will drive followers and conspirators further away into away from mainstream uh, platforms to more and f- then discovering more extreme views?
2: Yes, yes, that is actually one thing that I think is is slightly worrying about this. Um, so it's a bit of a double edged sword. Like, I mean, there's you, you would definitely think, you know. The the vast majority of people that are kind of moderate QAnon followers are probably not going to, you know, migrate to platforms that they don't really, that, that they're not very user friendly, um, number one. And um, so, but the people that do decide to actually migrate to those platforms, like they pretty much have no rules around hate speech or disinformation or anything. So they actually run the risk of probably being exposed to more extremist content than what they were being exposed to on Facebook. Um so yeah, as I say, a double edged sword, it's very hard to kind of know because when you're getting into those kind of real fringy platforms, I mean their their whole business model is is designed around free speech and designed around not censoring people or not censoring any kind of conversation. And it just makes them cesspits really. Um so say there is there is that, that other danger to it as well.
0: Before you go, Ifa, did you watch the social dilemma? And if so, what did you think? Oh my god, I did. <laughs>
2: I did. And I made my girlfriend watch it as well. And she was distraught afterwards, to be honest. And I was like, well, now you know why I do my job and what it's about. <laughs> um, but yes, I I was I was very impressed by it, to be honest. I think it kind of, it took all the, the mad late night thoughts that go through my head and kind of put them into this like really coherent documentary. Um, and I think that probably everyone should watch it. And I think that everyone should make their kids watch it and everyone should make their parents watch it because it really, really does explain the kind of world that we're living in now. And I think it's, would definitely, I think, I think everyone feels the pressure of social media and everyone feels uncomfortable when they're like, when an ad pops up on their phone about something that they've been talking about the day before, you know? So I think like t- people really need to understand what's going on there. And I think that that documentary is a really good way to kind of open people's, open people's eyes to this and kind of make them realize that this is something that we really, really need to think about.
0: Eva Gallagher from the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much.